This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Covered California knows that one moment can change your life. That moment you say, I do. That moment you meet your baby for the first time. Or even that moment you lose your job and your health insurance along with it. For those times when life changes, we've got you covered. Covered California lets you choose from brand name health plans, and you may even get help paying for it. Your enrollment period is limited, so find out if you qualify by getting free expert help at CoveredCA.com today. Covered California. It's more than just health care. It's life care. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with my esteemed co-host, Andy Bailey. It is weekend mailbag day. We do need to hammer out when we're going to publish these. Are they going to be on Friday? Are they going to be on Saturday? Could they be Sunday sometimes? I, I, I have no idea what we're going to do, but, but we'll figure it out. We're excited to do the mailbag. Uh, before we start, we just want to remind you uh, to subscribe, rate, review us on iTunes. Uh, we appreciate it. We will be forever grateful if, if you're able to do that. Uh, even if your review isn't necessarily the nicest, you know, we had someone comment username F U dirtbag, uh, did not like our <laughs> podcast. He said it was, what was his words, Andy? It was a steady stream, stream. of consciousness. Yeah. Which- Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. I'm pretty sure is like, that's all podcasts. We're not here to do this you know, scripted stuff. So um, I'm sorry that we're not drones. But is, I guess I just want to apologize that we're, we're not drones. And he's mad that we, once we give opinions and realize we're wrong, we tend to change our opinions as if more information is a bad thing. So shout out. Well, to you should F. apologize. Yes, I would like to apologize um, to F.U. Dirtbag, username F.U. Dirtbag. Um, I apologize for nothing. That's fair. You're a very unapologetic person. <laughs> Um, the last housekeeping note is that we are going to run a bit of a subscription promotion. We have NBA Math now has these fire T-shirt designs. Uh, you guys really need to check them out. Um, they've been up for a while. It's mbamath.com slash shop. I know that's hard to remember. If you send us a screenshot proof that you have subscribed, rated us, and left a review – you will be entered to win a free T-shirt design of your choice and size. Uh, if you are already a subscriber, send us screenshots of what you have not done yet, 
Uh, if you didn't leave us a review, I know all of you all haven't left us a review if you haven't rated us yet. If you've done all three of those things, just send us proof that you've done them. Uh, you can send it to me on Twitter, at Dan Favalli. Send it to Andy on Twitter, at Andrew D. Bailey. You can also send it to the at Hardwood Knox account. Um, and we're going to have a drawing probably at the end of next week, automated. We're not picking these ourselves. So we'll be running this and really opening it up on Twitter at the beginning of the week. But if you want to get in early now, again, just send us a screenshot showing us that on Stitcher, Blog Talk, or preferably iTunes that you have rated us, left us a review, and subscribed. With all that out of the way, we get to the most pressing question of the day. How are you doing, Andy? Wow, most pressing question of the day. That makes me feel good. Um, well, I know your daughter was giving you some issues before we hopped on. Yeah, for for like the first time in months, she had a rough night sleeping, and then she slept in, which at this house is like 7.15 in the morning, but... Uh, we're all good now. I think she's at the McDonald's play place. Play place so she was up late. She should be Spencer in heaven. Dinwiddie last night, I think, <laughs> or maybe having nightmares about Spencer Dinwiddie. He was wrecking her dad's favorite team. Uh, that's fair too. <laughs> so I'm gonna throw it to you and see where you want to start on this mailbag. Right. I'm sorry that we didn't plan this. Fuc dirtbag or whatever his, <laughs> what this username was. I already forgot it. I I think it was just FU Dirtbag, but I think it rolls a little better with the C thrown in there. So take that for what you will, FU. I hope you're le- you're listening. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to start off with the team that uh, I think ended the night. The Lakers might have finished uh, after they did, but they effectively ended the night. The Nuggets uh, on national television seemed to finally uh, rediscover their offense last night against the Pelicans. I think they had, what, 146 points? Um, it seemed like more than that too. I'm going to, yeah, I think they took their foot off the gas a little bit in the fourth, as is often the case in blowouts, but yeah, they beat the Pelicans 146 to 114. Their best player, Nikola Jokic took five shots. Um, it's amazing how he just, just gets his jollies from not shooting basically. I know it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, like by far the fewest shot attempts of the starting five. But anyway, so we have a question from David Ellis. He says, can the Nuggets make a run this year? Pretty broad, um, but I'll just I'll leave it how it is for you. Uh, not as currently constructed. I just I don't see it. The offense still has like spectacular potential, even though it's gone through ruts. It's now sixth in points scored per 100 possessions. And the defense has been not terrible. Like, you're staving off bottom 10 status right now, which I think is a really big deal. But a lot of people have pointed this out already. Yes, there are going to be nights where Nikola Jokic absolutely cooks defenses, but they're not necessarily afraid of him anymore, or he's not new to them. Like, the scouting reports out on him, and the fact that, yeah, sometimes he's aggressive, but he gets, as we kind of alluded to, into these stretches where he just wants to pass, 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 which is great. Um... I just think that they're going to need more experience at point guard to kind of help him. And I don't know that that's on the roster. I think Emmanuel Moutier been better than expected. He's finally shooting uh, better. Both him and Jamal Murray look like they're making some better decisions out of the pick and roll. 
but are either of those guys someone that you can lean on to really generate offense? Point guard isn't Murray's natural position, so he's kind of learning on the fly. And Moutier, uh, the Nuggets are scoring 101.2 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor, which would, for context, rank uh, comfortably inside the bottom 10, closer to the bottom five of offensive efficiency. So I, I think we also had another question like this, which is should the Nuggets go get a point guard on the trade market. And I think that would be the key for them to make a run this season that, or if there's like a wing, like a starry playmaking wing that becomes available, I'd like to see them chase him because they're light there as well. So I think this question for me depends on how we frame it. Um, Can the Nuggets make a run this year? Like, can they make a run at the championship? No. Can they make a run at like home court advantage in the West? I, I think that's already in play. Um, I was just looking at, so, so you mentioned their defense. It's significantly better than it was last year. Right. Last time I checked defensive real plus minus, uh, Nicole Jokic was second in the entire NBA behind Joel Embiid, which, um, you know, take that for what you will advanced stats or what they are, but Denver's defense is significantly better when he's on the floor this year. So that's, I mean, there are tangible improvements you can point to on the defensive end. And I think um, a lot of that has to do with the acquisition of Paul Millsap. I think he's really helped defensively. And it looks like just from the last few games that he's, they're starting to finally figure out how to play offense with him too. And that was, that was sort of the one hang-up uh, to this point was he, he wasn't really fitting into the super motion-heavy offense. He was kind of stopping the ball a little bit. Um, but in the last few games, it has definitely looked better. And I think... I think they're going to continue to sort of climb the offensive rankings and get back closer to where they were last year, which is, you know, top two, three offense in the league. And that with like an average defense, I think that's that's in play for a top four seed in the West. I just even here's my thing is that even if they get a top four seed, I could still see them getting bounced in the first round. Uh, That's yeah, the nature of the West. Well, it's the nature of the West, but like to get I guess in my head, I'm just determining run as what could kind of guarantee them to get out of the first round. And I think they're going to need to make a trade to do that. And the, it was no paper chaser at chase God, uh, who asked the question of the nuggets still looking to add a point guard. If so, whom could they realistically acquire? Uh, the Eric Bledsoe, I I don't want to call it a miss because after what Milwaukee picked him up for, you have to assume that Denver was just like, nah, we're good. Like there was, they had to draw a line somewhere. I, I don't know necessarily who you could, go after i've said this and it's a long shot but kemba walker would be an interesting name to go all in on if the hornets continue to kind of suck something awful and they look at it and say wow we're locked into this core kemba's headed for free agency in 2019 maybe we could lop off one of these bad contracts with him get some picks and prospects goran Dragic would be another name in my book to keep an eye He's on one that i've always thought I don't, I don't know why i've always thought he would be interesting next to Jokic. he would be a really um fun fit and I I think you could get away depending on where the Heat are. Like I, maybe they would want to if they decide. I mean the Heat they don't seem like a team that's just going to rebuild. But if they do, if you start to see that you're not better than the 41 wins you got last year, building a package around. I I don't know that you give up Jamal Murray for Goran Dragic. I know he has three, including this season, years left on his deal at reasonable price points. But he is over 30. He should age well. He is aging well, but I wouldn't give up Jamal Murray for him, especially if you weren't going to do so for Bledsoe. But you can build a package around 
Fareed and, and Moutier and another pick and maybe Beasley. And, and there's some other salary you can throw in there to make it work. So perhaps the Nuggets are taking back one of the Heat's bad contracts. I don't know that they would necessarily have to, though. So those would be two names. More so Dragic would be realistic to keep an eye on for me if I'm Denver. Man, if they could pull that off without giving up Jamal Murray, that would Would you give up Murray would be for a steal. Um, I probably would not. Okay. Like like you said, and Dragic is what thirty one, thirty two years old now. Yeah, he's thirty one. Uh, he's he. I mean, he's really, really good still. Yeah, and he's probably I, the way he plays. I think he's probably got three or four really good years left. And like I said, I think he's a really good fit with um, Jokic. But I think Murray's a good fit too, and he fits in terms of a timeline as well because you right. know he's a player who's in his early twenties. He, he's just he's not even twenty one years old yet. Um, in answer to the question, I. I honestly don't know if they should go for a point guard. Um, I think both of those names you threw out are, are super interesting. I, there were rumblings that one of the reasons they cut Jameer Nelson, which is still a confusing move to me, was the front office basically wanted to force Mike Malone's hand and, and force him to play Jamal Murray and Emmanuel Moutier this season. And it was pretty shaky at first. Uh, Murray in his first five games of the year Shot 28.8% from the field and 9.5% from three. Um, obviously, that's pretty rough. But the next 10, um, he's at... So over over Denver's last 10 games, Murray's averaging 17.6 points, uh, shooting 52.8% from the field and 38.5% from three. That's, that's pretty dang good. Um, I, I don't know how much better you're going to get from a Nikola Jokic type point guard you want somebody who can just sort of space off of him in that role you don't want a ball dominant point guard necessarily with Jokic so I'm I'm actually fine with them standing pat at the point guard position you mentioned this earlier I think trading for a wing might be a better idea but um, you know right now I'd I'd actually kind of like to see this roster continue to to play out and, and develop and grow chemistry together I think if the price is right and you can get that point guard without giving up Murray, I'd probably go for it at this point. That being said, um, another interesting thing, the Nuggets are scoring 109 points per 100 possessions when Murray plays without Jokic on the floor. Oh, which wow. Is an elite defense, which is an elite offensive rating. It would be top yeah. five. The defense is trash during that time, 110.5 points per 100 possessions. But maybe, And he's probably spending – a lot of those minutes are probably coming with Will Barton, who helps a lot, but – it seems like there's a clear path to him eventually being able to run the offense, even if it's not now. And I guess to kind of put a bow on this, if you're going to get top four, top five, top six in the West, get bounced in the first round, fine. If And while you're developing point guards, like that's that's probably a pretty big win for them. So that that's yeah. probably where they're looking at it from. And just an exclamation point on this, he he had 31 last night on 13 of 18 shooting. He's so, um, it's just so seesaw. It's like, so he does that, but then it's like he goes from tallying a career-high 32 points yeah. on 12 of 21 against the Magic, and then the next night or two nights later, he commits six turnovers and goes 0 for 7 from deep against yeah. the Blazers. It's just he's, so weird. He's definitely up and down right now, but again, he's 20 years old. So, I mean, hopefully those things will iron themselves out over the next couple of years. Um. Okay, I'm going to jump to a question from Casey Terrell. He says, do you buy into people saying that LeBron's level of performance is unsustainable? I think this is probably in reference to Draymond Green's quote the other day who said that, what did he say? He's superhuman, but eventually he... Um, 
I, my answer to this just very quickly is I've been I was expecting the start of a LeBron decline like five years ago. The the amount of mileage on this guy's legs with playoff minutes, international competition, leading the league in minutes a few years over the course of his career. Um, I, I've, I've given up <laughs> thinking that that's going to come. He, to me, is superhuman. And I just, I, I don't, I'm done trying to predict when it's going to start going down because he's, again, having a, a ridiculous season. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I get it. I, I understand the sentiments, and at some point, yes, LeBron James is going to have to slow down, but I'm done. I, I don't care that he's turning 33. I don't care that he's averaging more minutes per game than he has since 2010, 2011, his first season with the Heat. <laughs> I just don't care. He's LeBron. The, you, you know what the most unsustainable part of his game might be right now? The 78% free throw shooting, which would be uh, the – it would tie his career high, I believe. It would. So his career high was in 2008, 2009. That might be the most unsustainable part of his game. And it's LeBron, so you're really going to uh, doubt that. So I'm, I'm past it. I'm not, we could probably go deeper into this. And I don't – I guess this would be the, the more important question. Do you want LeBron to have to sustain this level of play? And, and I believe the clear answer there is no. Like, like, yeah, you would love for anybody to step up on that team. Bring down – maybe once Isaiah Thomas comes back, you could play him like 35 or 36 minutes a night. I know that's only like two to three or four minutes a game. But, you know, you put that across like 25, 30 games that starts to add up. Uh, and it would be nice if the Cavaliers could start blowing out some bad teams just so he doesn't have to play some fourth quarters. That's mm-hmm. kind of an underrated part of what the Warriors have done over the past couple of years is that they don't really need to play their starters in the fourth quarter ever. Um, you mentioned that he's he's tied for a career high in free throw percentage. This this blew my mind. I actually looked this up the other day, and I just did again to confirm it. Um, this is year fifteen. He's like sixty thousand NBA minutes in if you count playoffs. Jesus. And this season, yeah, and that doesn't even include international competition, um, which he's done several summers. But right now, he's posting career highs in year fifteen at age thirty three. In assist percentage, block percentage, and true shooting percentage. Block percentage is probably the most impressive because that's a that's a category that, of course, demands a little bit more physically um, than than say assist percentage does. So for him to still be like setting career marks this late in the season and this many miles in is just crazy to me. This, this is what's also interesting is that this is just the third time of his career that he's on pace to log most of his minutes at power forward. He did it for those two yeah. seasons with the Heat, 2012-2013 Heat, 2013-2014 Heat. Uh, he was basically a power forward there. And I, I thought for some reason there was one or two more seasons where he would have had a lion's share, but he didn't even come close to 50% in those other years. And that's probably helping him. He's probably in better position to get blocks, but he's he's just he's phenomenal. And I, I'm done doubting LeBron. He ta- He's a monster when it comes to taking care of his body. We know this. So I'm going to say he can sustain it, but the Cavs should absolutely not want him to have to. Yeah. I agree with both those points. Now, uh, me... I think I mentioned – I was going to say one more thing. I think I mentioned this on a previous episode maybe like a year ago. I always envisioned the tail end of LeBron's career, him transitioning to full-time power forward, which appears to be what he's doing now. And then he has like a third phase where he's just a spot-up shooter. So it's, it's all going according to Andy's master plan. <laughs> It's good that Tyron Lue listens to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, spe- well. Speaking of LeBron, I think we need to go to this question next. Um, and it came from, I don't know why the list just like totally 
closed out in front of me. But is it too early to call Spencer Dimwitty a greatest of all time <laughs> candidate? And I would say no. I would think it's a little bit too late, you know? So it's Thomas Boomhauer. Yes. Uh, and here's a fun <laughs> stat for Spencer Dimwitty two players are averaging at least 16 points and eight assists per 36 minutes while knocking down 40% or more of their threes. Spencer Dimwitty is one. LeBron James is the other one. That is wild. That is just wild to me. I, yeah. I we're still early, but like, you know, I, I we're fourteen. He's fourteen games into his season. He's not shooting particularly well from the field overall. I'll never watching him. He he seems like he has really good patience um, when he's in the lane sometimes. But I, for the life of me, can't figure out why he shoots. Basically the same percentage from three right now that he's shooting inside three feet of the basket. Uh, he's shooting 45.2% three feet in the basket. That's absolutely horrid for people who need <laughs> like, context. And that's where more than a quarter of his shots are coming from. And yet he's shooting 44.6% from three. Uh, that and but and the other thing is is like he seems like he's making tough shots though when he's closer to the basket. But there are these like easy ones where it doesn't look like he has any touch whatsoever. I've been super impressed. I'm hopefully gonna I'll be writing about him. I think in the coming weeks, so I'm I'm excited to do that. I I'm I'm wondering whether you think and I guess I'll throw my own question in here uh, to build off the goat question. I'm wondering if you think his performance is mostly sustainable because we kind of went through this with Sean Kelpatrick last year and I was sold on him and now he doesn't even see the Nets rotation and Jeremy Lin and D'Angelo Russell are both injured. Um, and I, I'm going to lean toward, to answer my own question first, say yes, just because of what Dinwiddie does defensively because he's so long. He there, there are reads that he doesn't make, but the Nets like toss him on some of the best guys. I'm not even talking just point guards, like shooting guards and small forwards. Sometimes he'll he'll switch onto. And Kenny Atkinson really likes length, and I think that just ensures that he's going to get a more consistent opportunity than Kilpatrick. And I th I think Atkinson might have even said it's kind of a numbers game in the sense that these guys are long and taller, and Sean Kilpatrick is not. So. I'm going to lean toward yes, but I'm, I'm kind of curious. Maybe I'm wearing my Brooklyn Nets goggles that I didn't know that I owned. I'm going to lean towards yes, too, especially uh, as D'Angelo Russell gets back to the lineup. I, I think it's going to be pretty easy. Not easy, um, but realistic for Dinwiddie to maintain this level of production and efficiency if he's a backup point guard. Mm -hmm. And. I honestly had this question last night, and it was probably just reactionary, and, and there's probably not a lot to it. But I thought, I, I wonder if the Nets, for various reasons, might be even a little better with Spencer Dinwiddie than they are with D'Angelo Russell. I think Russell's a more talented player, um, but I think there's a patience and a poise, like you mentioned, when, when Dinwiddie's running things. Um, you, you mentioned his length defensively, which D'Angelo Russell has too, but I don't think he's putting any, anywhere near the effort defensively that Dinwiddie does. I, I don't think many people would disagree with me there. Um, obviously, D'Angelo Russell is—he's like the future of that position for the Nets. But I, I was—I've been super impressed with Dinwiddie all season. Um, like we've said a couple times, he's done a lot of this as a backup point guard. For him to continue to do what he's been doing in this starter's role is—is is really impressive to me. Now, but before I just, I'll have you jump to the next question. Here's, um, if you tinker with my shooting splits before from saying less than five feet, Spencer Dinwiddie is shooting 16 of 36 
inside five feet of the basket. That is 44.4%. He's 25 of 56 from three. That is 44.6%. He's shooting better from three than inside five feet of the basket. (laughs) That is wild. And maybe he's just one of those guys who hasn't figured out finishing uh, among those huge NBA defenders yet. Yeah, I mean, he's he's never been spectacular at it. He was, I think, his sophomore season in Detroit, he was shooting over 60% near the rim. But last season, he was at 58.4% inside three feet, exponentially better than where he is now, but that's still not considered an elite a mark. So, so maybe he'll get there, but... He um, might level out, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, you know, maybe he'll shoot 37% from three and get closer to, like, 56% at the rim, which would help the Nets a great deal. But all of this comes with a disclaimer that we said Ricky Rubio's uh, shooting at the beginning of the season was sustainable. So take yeah, that with there's, there's going to be a lot of takes from that sustainable or not podcast. That don't eat, so. <laughs> I'm just going to block it from memory. Um, okay. I'm going to move on to another question. This one is from Brandon Warburton. Uh, he says Dirk Nowitzki's on his last legs, ushering in the end of an era for Mavs hoops. Where do the Mavs go from here? What pieces are in place that can be built upon, and what do they desperately need? So I mean, basically, where do the Mavs go from here? This kind of dovetails nicely with a question from Isaac Harris about asking where Dennis Smith Jr. ranks among rookies. Um, yeah, we can, we, can, uh, we can put these together. Yes, I, I think that would be uh, integral. I mean, you have it helps that they have Dennis Smith Jr., because that that's your building block now. I think what you need to figure out from here, uh, and that question, just so when we know we get into it, from Isaac Harris at Isaac Harris NBA was, where does Dennis Smith Jr. rank among teenagers in NBA history? We can pick any specific stats that we want. So uh, I, I think it helps to have him a great deal because finding that kind of legitimate building block, that cornerstone, is... I don't always want to call it the hardest part of any rebuild, but it's it's certainly the most important part of any rebuild. And to already have him is a big deal. And I know he's got a lot of stuff to work out, but he's been okay off the catch shooting, which is fine. He he gets to his spots here uh, on the floor fairly easily on offense. He's not always finishing well, but he's getting to his spot, which is a good sign to me as it is. And having him, that's someone that you can now fill out the rest of the roster around. So from here, what I'm doing, and we talked about this in the last podcast, sell, sell, sell. I'm getting rid of Wesley Matthews if I can find some sort of salary cap relief at this point. No one's going to give you a valuable pick for him, I don't think. And I'm considering moving Harrison Barnes. I get it. Uh, He's still young enough to where he could be part of a rebuild, and he was fantastic as a Uh, as a one-on-one scorer last year even though he didn't necessarily anchor a great offense and he's only again he's only 25 and and he's versatile on defense so maybe you can keep him especially because Dirk Nowitzki is going to be so cheap as long as he's around but I'm I'm at least selling uh, trying to keep myself as flexible as possible to where over the summer if someone comes calling looking to create cap space if I'm the Mavs I want to amass more of those picks because your draft cover isn't like filled so having your own picks is just, it's not enough. You, you need to get extra. And for them, that's where I'm going. And what they would then need to figure out, I think, are, are two major pieces they need. They need to find kind of a big man cornerstone because it's apparently not Nerlens Noel, like we all yeah. thought. Uh, he's in Rick Carlisle's doghouse. And you need that elite wing somewhere. And, and they just don't have it right now, even if they're keeping Barnes. Nice combo forward. He's, he's a nice player, but he's not, he's not great. 
Yeah, I think his peak is like your number three. Um, yeah, that's that's totally fair. I would think just doesn't just doesn't seem like he's ready to be a number one on a on a contending type team. Um, I'm with you. I think it's probably time to try and sell off some of these assets, go all in on the Luka Doncic sweepstakes, Michael Porter Jr. Um, you know, there's a bunch of those potentially star wings and forwards at the top of this year's draft. So that's that's uh, priority number one. Um, obviously, keep developing Dennis Smith. Um, I actually did look up a stat for Isaac Harris, who was uh, he was our guest on the Mavericks preview pod this year. Actually, he was very um, good. Yeah, he was awesome. I looked up average game score of teenagers, uh, and Dennis Smith was actually a little bit higher than I thought he would be because uh, he's he's had his struggles this season in terms of efficiency. But among all teenagers. Since 1983-84, he has the 16th best average game score. And for, for those who don't know, game score is basketball reference, just sort of one game catch-all metric. Um, the guys ahead of him are, I mean, they're huge name guys like LeBron, Carmelo Anthony, Kevin Durant, um, you know, names like that. You don't really see anybody in here who would surprise you. Maybe Stephon Marbury would be the the one that you point to that's like, uh, I don't know. But everybody other than that is is like, a great NBA player. Oh, Jaleel Okafor is in there too. So that that's two um, <laughs> two who missed, but he's in good company. Like he's he's doing things that are really impressive. Um, a better average game score as a teenager than Tracy McGrady or Kobe Bryant. Um, some other really good players. Uh, Yanni Antetokounmpo is behind him. So anyway, I, I think there's plenty to like about Dennis Smith. He's ridiculously explosive, and and I think you do have. Um, I think I think you have at least one of your cornerstones right there. But I agree with you. I think I think they're going to need one more in the draft at least. And I I again I think probably Paramount is getting like extra picks. Uh, yeah. To do that. So the problem is with I mean they they don't really have the kind of players that are going to net really valuable picks right now. Um. So maybe you just hope you're really good at the end of the first round or the beginning of the second round. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Even if you can't get like a top tier pick for any of these guys, I, I would still be trying to sell. Now, I, I so I had looked up a stat for Isaac Harris too, and it's and so it's interesting because so many players come up when I ran this split. I wanted to see uh, guys age twenty or younger who averaged fifteen points and four assists per game, and there are fourteen other players right now. But I, the company is like. I don't know where you find the bad company. It's I'm just going to rattle them off really quick. LeBron, Marbury, Tyreek Evans, Kyrie Irving, Brandon Jennings, Magic Johnson, Lamar Odom, Tony Parker, Chris Paul, Derek Rose, D'Angelo Russell, Dennis Smith, as we know, Isaiah Thomas, um, not not the last pick in the draft, Isaiah Thomas, Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas, John Wall, oh, wow. Russell Westbrook. So, you know, there are like the outliers, Tyreek Evans, but he was really good as a rookie. Uh, ditto for Derek Rose, 2009 Derek Rose. D'Angelo Russell uh, is doing – I, I get that. So there are – you know, the Brandon Jennings one is probably the biggest red flag, but D'Angelo Russell is still going to be a good NBA player. Derrick Rose was good in his heyday before his injuries and kind of ditto for Tyreek Evans and, and ditto with Marbury. The only name on that list of 14 other players that would be eh, would be Brandon Jennings. And I, I look at Dennis Smith, and he just has the tools to succeed on defense and as a playmaker in ways that Brandon Jennings never did. So – I'm with you. 
His last six games, he's averaging 18.5 points, six rebounds, four assists, shooting 41 from the field and 35 from three. So he's he's another guy who's getting better. Um, I think that wraps us up on the Mavs. Let's jump to – we've got a bunch of uh, Boston questions that I think we could probably put together. I'm going to start off with Brady Sheridan. Is Boston actually legit? And uh, I think it was on Basket Brawl, not on this show, that we were asked, what, what, what would you adjust the Celtics over under to after the Hayward injury? It was oh, like God. the day after or a couple days after. And I think I said like 42. Yeah, um, you were low. I thought I was low on them. I said 45. And you said 45, right? Yeah. So you, you were shit on me. You were like, oh, it's, yeah. no, you're, you're too optimistic. Well, I won that. I won that question, too. So in hindsight, that was incorrect. I, I think you clearly beat me there. Um, they're still on track for easily 50 wins. They're 14 and two right now. I was like fairly skeptical for most of the winning streak after they did what they did against the Warriors. I think they were down by as many as 17 in the second half. And for that defense to shut down, Golden State to that point, and and probably still, had the greatest offense ever. Um, Better than the previous two years of Golden State basketball, even. For Boston's defense to shut them down or slow them down the way that they did, um, that was really eye-opening to me. I I think they are absolutely legit um, because of that defense, the length that they have on the wings. Kyrie is is accepted his new role very very well. He's been so Al good Horford. on defense, Kyrie. Yeah, the, just his effort defensively is. I think it was David Zavitz from Fear the Sword was like, Kyrie Irving is the exact same player offensively, but his difference, the difference in his effort defensively is comical, which right, it yeah. yep. it really is. Um, Al Horford has been unreal. He's he's been Boston's best player by basically every metric. Um, so yeah, I'm I am buying. Boston stock now. I think they're fully legit. Uh, so, <laughs> you ready? I have a crazy stat to add to this conversation that I, I think I need to tweet out because I stumbled across this earlier this morning when I was looking up, up Dennis Smith Jr. stuff. But anyway, so uh, their defense, like it, it still bugs me a little bit. I just don't, I don't understand it. Jason Tatum is playing really well on that end of the floor. Ditto for Kyrie Irving. Ditto for Jalen Brown. This is such a young team, and they're and the opposing squads are still missing a ton of their high-quality threes, which you, you kind of think isn't going to last all year, and yet they have such a comfortable lead in the defensive department. Like, Oklahoma City has the second-best defense right now, and they're giving up 3.2 points more per 100 possessions than the Celtics. That's about the gap between them and number 10. So the gap between 1 and 2, Boston and Oklahoma City, is about the same as the gap between number two, Oklahoma City, and number 10, Utah Jazz. Like, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy to me. And, you know, okay, fine. Maybe maybe Jason Tatum is hits a rookie wall and isn't able to be a bit so stout defensively relative to a newbie. Or maybe Kyrie Irving's effort starts to waver. Like, they're not going to miss on all fronts. Like, Al Horford isn't going to all of a sudden start not playing well. So when you have this many guys playing well and when you're trying to look at potential outliers, when you're talking about so many candidates for outliers, they're not all going to end up being outliers. Uh, so yeah. I don't know how many times I'm going to use outliers in this podcast, but <laughs> I'm buying – I'm drinking the Boston Celtics Kool-Aid now officially. Um, I, I, their defense, again, I'm still very curious. They haven't had the hardest schedule in the league by any stretch, but it's like you said. They were fantastic against the Warriors, and if you're going to get – 
these kids, Jalen Brown on defense, kind of playing like a 25-year-old veteran. Uh, same yeah. for Jason Tatum. It's just incredible. And the stat I want to add is rookies, uh, in terms uh, rookie averages for win shares per 48 minutes, the top five in NBA history. Number five is Kawhi Leonard. Number four is Chris Paul. Number three is Magic Johnson. Number two is Nikola Jokic. Number one right now is Jason Tatum. Wow, I Jason would, Tatum is averaging crazy. more win shares per forty-eight minutes than anyone in M- than any rookie in NBA history. Shut it down. Yep, let's That's... move on. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, so I, they're actually related to that. Aaron Edgley, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put these two together. Um, Aaron Edgley asks, "Can Boston win the East?" Brady Sheridan again asks, "If Cleveland doesn't win." Can anyone but Boston win? So it's basically, can Boston win the East? And if not, Boston or Cleveland, who else? Uh, can Boston? I want to say no for Boston to win the East. And I, I don't want that to be a shot at Boston, but I'm not. We just talked about LeBron. I'm not. I'm done betting against LeBron right now. I mean, it's. I'm, I'm just done. I can't do it. Uh, I think the Cavs are going to figure it out. Maybe They're probably not going to have the best record in the East at this point. For me, if it's not going to be the Cavs, it will be Boston. If there was another team for them to worry about, I'm going to say Milwaukee. And I wouldn't That's have been as, yep. as high on them previously. But after the Eric Bledsoe trade, like they've been basically straight fire. And Toronto has been better than I thought. But I still, once you get to the playoffs, you need to show me that DeMar and Kyle Lowry are both going to play well on the same night. Washington is lethal in the postseason because of the way Beal and Wall typically play, but they've been up and down this season. And again, just Milwaukee, their defensive versatility now, and and they have a little bit extra depth with Eric Bledsoe. So that would be my answer to those questions. I'm going (laughs) to... So this is funny coming from the guy who adjusted their over-under to 42 right after the Hayward injury. I'm going to say they can. I wouldn't wouldn't say they have a great chance, Boston, at winning the East. Give me a percentage. Uh, Still... Uh, I'll say I'll say one out of five, twenty percent chance, which is like way, way, way higher than I would have given them before the season, especially after the Gordon Hayward injury. Um, oh my god! It's, this, oh god, we didn't even like like Gordon Hayward isn't even playing, and they've won fourteen. Years I know it's crazy. Um, the thing about this is this almost has more to do with Cleveland than it does with Boston. Boston's been amazing, but. There are some major, major red flags with LeBron James' supporting cast this season. It's been a little bit better of late. Um, start. I, I think Derrick Rose going down certainly helps, and hopefully Tyron Lue sees that and doesn't insert him right back into the starting lineup when he's ready to go. Um, but if you have Derrick Rose playing rotation minutes, and Jeff Green's been a lot better this season, but I, I think he's probably a question mark too. Iman Shumpert is a question mark. There's a lot, a lot of guys... Do have to play minutes for this team that are it's kind of scary to have them playing real minutes on a championship contender. So I think with Boston's ridiculous defense, um, they have a chance. I would still put Cleveland, like I said, and I would go with Milwaukee too as sort of the next one up. Uh, I think I think Giannis is the best player other than LeBron in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I'm with you on Toronto. I think they're pretty good. I, I think Washington's good, but I'm siding with um, I'm siding with the talent and Giannis and. Giannis and Eric Bledsoe is that's already uh, the Bucks' best two-man lineup uh, among lineups with 100 minutes. So that's working. 
Um, I think those two, when they're on the floor together, the Bucks are outscoring opponents by almost 20 points per, per 100 possessions. So Holy crap. Um, yeah. I, I just looked that up a day or two ago, so that might be a little di- little different now. But uh, it's working. Um, so, yeah, Milwaukee would be the one that I have as well. And one more bonus question on the Celtics. Actually, <laughs> a couple more. Uh, Dakota Wade asks, should I get season tickets? He just moved towards Boston. I'm going to say yes. Um, quick yes or no from you on that one. Y- yes. <laughs> and then finally, okay, this is our last Boston one. This time I promise. Um, Shiloh Winder, big Celtics fan, says, are we still absolutely positive? John Wooden, <laughs> the greatest coach to ever come out of Indiana. This is obviously a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Um, and obviously in reference to Brad Stevens, former Butler head coach, um, he's, he's definitely the best coach in the NBA so far this season, right? Right. I mean, the, the only one I would just begin to make a case for is Greg Popovich and the Spurs' offense isn't inventive enough. This, it can't be, and that's not his fault. But he all, I mean, the fact that they don't have a top-five player in the NBA and yet they still have a winning record, that, that's the only guy, Crazy. even in the macro discussion, I'm not putting anyone except for Popovich above Brad Stevens right now. So, you know, the question really isn't that tongue-in-cheek when you think about it. We're, we can't be positively certain right now. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, <laughs> I'd say Popovich is probably in the discussion not having Kawhi and still being above 500 is pretty impressive but not having Hayward and being 14 and 2 with a bunch of rookies um, yeah, all right yeah I mean you got Evan cr- Turner a 70 million dollar contract yeah I mean that's yeah <laughs> that should win you coach of the year in perpetuity <laughs> um I have a two quick two oh are we ready to move on is this going to be a Celtics pod yeah. now um, no, I'm ready. <laughs> I have two quick hitting ones. <laughs> it's not the ones. Simmons podcast. I have two very quick hitting ones. One is from uh, Leon at math underscore revealed. What is the three-point percentage across the league for all shooters? D-League as well if you have it. Um, I don't have the D-League numbers. I didn't look up the D-League either. <laughs> um, the average NBA three-point percentage right now is 36.1% up from 35.8% last season. And we could probably more threes are being shot. Guys are getting better at them, as we talked about with Dimwitty. So he's shooting better from three than he is around the basket. So that's not really surprising. I would think that that average is only gonna, is gonna. I think they'll be up and down years because with extra volume can come inefficiency, and maybe there'll be these situations where you know the Hawks have Dwayne Dedman shooting some threes. If you're gonna have players yeah. like that do that, or Timothy Mozgov shoot threes, that number could be pulled down across the league. But I would say that if we look let's say five, seven years down the line, that that three-point average is higher. Would you agree? Yeah. And the thing that's interesting to me about this question, um, yeah, shooters are absolutely getting better as time goes on. Um, The trend line that's interesting to me is this has also been going up throughout the history of the NBA, but it's really spiked in the last four years. The 2014-15 season, 26.8% of all shots were threes um, league-wide. 2015-16, 2015-16, that number jumps to 28.5% of all three or of all shots are threes. Last season, it jumps again, 31.6% of all shots are threes. And this season, 33.8% of all shots taken in the NBA this season have been three-point attempts, over one-third of the shots in the league. Jesus and Christ. I don't know if it's slowing down. Like, No. It's- at some point, it'll stop, you would think, like maybe when it gets to 35 Upward, I mean, forty even. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a more efficient shot than what you can get in a lot of other areas, and teams are smart and I mean, and guys know how to shoot, so it's going to keep going up. I agree with everything you said there. I I honestly don't know where the breaking point is going to be though. You could say forty percent. I'm not even sure it's that. It could be higher. Here's 
One more thing on this. Uh, this season, the Rockets uh, obviously are first in no. <laughs> 53.2% of the shots they've taken this season have been threes. Um, second place Mavericks are at 39.1%. Daryl Morey, what up? Daryl Morey and yeah. Mike D'Antoni, that combination together is just... Oh, amazing. man, that was perfect, yeah. They'll be at 75% by next season of their shots. <laughs> um, NBA math founder and editor-in-chief, Adam Frommel, at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09, asks, where does John Collins rank among the the best NBA players from Wake Forest. I'm going to say second, just behind Tim Duncan, but definitely in front of Chris Paul. <laughs> I think that's fair. Uh, man, John Collins has been awesome Bouncies, this year. Though. You ever, have yeah. you, when watching him, do you see the way he kind of backpedals and moves on the defense end? Reminds me a lot of DeAndre Jordan. And it seems like he's a little bit more jumpy than uh, Jordan when he's going, for, like he, I, I hadn't thought of that, but I can like see it in my head as his, soon as you said his it. His reload time to me is incredible. Like sometimes I feel like he jumps twice somehow in the air. Like if that makes like before, like it's almost like he's in the air and then he gives himself a little kick and he's up again because he jumps so quick. But uh, I see that when I see him backpedaling. He's uh, and Zach Lowe wrote about this yesterday for ESPN.com. If he ever like kind of expands his offensive game, uh, it, it, he's just going to be really he's good. Be good. He's probably going to be really good anyway. I think he's second among rookies right now in PER. Um, his rim protection has been better than I anticipated. I thought he would struggle on defense. He already has a, a block percentage over 4%. The thing that sold me on him was I think I heard Sam Vecini. I think it was on the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast. He said that John Collins, this was before the season started, he said Collins is younger than most of the freshmen who, who came out in this draft. And I, that, oh, yeah, that, that sold crazy. me. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on John Collins. Um, greatest Wake Forest player ever. Oh man! <laughs> I mean, not a stretch. Obviously, this is you're being completely serious. So, of course. Um, there's a question from Stephen Lerner. New Orleans has two of the 15 best players in the NBA. People who don't like Boogie are going to get really mad at that statement, but it's it's, act- <laughs> absolutely, it's absolutely true. Correct. Yeah, he's he's closer to the top five uh, this season, at least so far. NBA Math's total points added metric rates him as one of the five most valuable players in the league this year. And Adam Frommel, in a piece I, that he wrote at Bleach Report, named Davis as a top three defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, not Davis, excuse me, Cousins is Cousins. a top three defensive player of the year candidate. I'm not there because there have been at least three games where he's just completely checked out on the defensive end, and New Orleans <laughs> doesn't have. Uh, an elite defense this season, and I would point to uh, the shellacking that they were handed on Friday night as the example. But um, yeah, I, I they've oh the question though as we get sidetracked is what piece could put them over the top into legit contention? I I honestly have no idea because I don't know where here. they're going to get <laughs> that piece from. I'm just gonna say, can Drew Holiday play like a hundred and fifty million dollar player basically? Like that's like their piece. That's most kinda, important for sure. Yeah, their, their piece kind of has to come from within at this point, and I, it, it helps though that they look like they're probably playoff bound at this point, and they haven't gotten the best of Drew Holiday. You don't have Solomon Hill, who probably won't play this year because he's injured. So if you can just get a little bit more consistency from Holiday, he looks like he he's been better when he plays with one big, and it seems like he has some freedom to. To, to like attack a little bit more, just be more comfortable in his role. So if you can get more of him as a spot-up shooter, if he's going to shoot better than 20-something percent from three, that's probably the key for them at this point because I do not think that there's a trade out there for them looking at their pieces 
the one I suggested, and I'll propose this one, and I don't think the Nets would do it. Um, you could try and dangle Czech Diallo for Joe Harris, who's shooting like a zillion percent from three this year. And the justification would be uh, Diallo still has a year left on his rookie scale. I believe he's cheaper. Booker's a free agent this year. Mozgov is not going to play much longer in Brooklyn. You have Jared Allen, but you could talk yourself into let's get another rim runner there because we don't want to go super small all the time, which Kenny Atkinson has embraced. So, But like those are the types of trades that they could chase i don't, I don't yeah. know if you have they don't have the trade trade. assets to get a star right now no not even um, not even close and they better hope you, cousin stays <laughs> yeah i was gonna ask you do you know if they have any cap space this summer no not if i mean if davis is there no uh, None, excuse right, me yeah. if cousins is there wow i really suck uh cousins <laughs> is there they're not going to and i don't know i'm looking at the top 25 free agents next summer and that they need like, a vet. Would they even have a mid-level exception the Pels? Yeah, I don't even know. They will. I mean, I'm putting you on no. the spot. but So, yeah, they're just not going to cap space. Would Danny it. Green, like, sign a mid-level exception with them? I mean, he's probably not leaving the Spurs. I, I don't – I'm with you. I think Drew Holiday's got to be the guy. And, you, look, you have – and some of their best trade pieces, like, you could reevaluate it, but you can't get rid of Etwan Moore because he's, he's, he's probably been your third best player this year. So, I, I, I don't know. It's going to be weird, and – once you re-sign Davis, like I, I'm interested to see. I haven't really looked at their cap numbers, but if you're going to give Davis max money, which is going to be like thirty million dollars a year, uh, you're coming. I, th- I think that's going to vault you pretty much over the tax. They have t- they have ninety one point six million in guaranteed money next year, and that's without Cousins on the books. So you're gonna yeah, they're pretty much tapped out. So you're not out even already. working with the full mid level, most likely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a that's going to be. Oh, they can get. There's some things they could do if you, you know, stretch a Jinso or he'll be expiring. Maybe you can move him. You could stretch a Sheik, and you could do things that'll help you open up the full mid level exception. But I don't know who you're gonna get for that. They need to hope, but that's what they need is like a, a defender to kind of come calling who's a free agent. Like maybe and Bob might be really good for them. Uh, he's been fantastic with the Rockets, and he's making yeah. the minimum right now. Maybe you could get him. So it, it's gonna have to be something like that. Uh, I want to move on to a question that I posed to you uh, okay. before this. Are the Sixers going to sign a big-time free agent this summer? Because the Covington extension is done, and I, we get so many things wrong. I would like to give us like small props for coming really <laughs> ridiculously close on like the Roco structure. Yeah, we were. I, I was happy about that when I. That was like the first thing I thought when Woj reported. It. I was like, "Yes, we got a prediction right." <laughs> I think what is that? One of one thousand five hundred sixty-two. Yeah, so we're. We're 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 up there. So um, I did some like cap crunching for them, um, bef- like before we jumped on the podcast. They have base. They could do basically nothing. Uh, just renounce their own free agents, including Nick Daskus, and they're going to get to twenty five million in space. And I gave them it'll be twenty four point eight million if you give them the Lakers pick at number seven, and their own pick is at number eighteen. So I essentially allocated like five point six million dollars to draft picks. Um, that number, if you stretch Jared Bayless's the final year of Jared Bayless's contract, you're going to get past $30 million. If you dump Jared Bayless, you're going to come uh, closer to – you're going to be over $33 million. You're going to be closer to $34 million, a little bit over $34 million. If you have to use your own first-round pick to get rid of Jared Bayless, you're going to be like right at the $35 million line. And – that opens up crazy, yeah. money for LeBron. Like at that point, you would need a little bit more. You can get rid of Furkan Cormax. So 
I would like to officially advocate for LeBron to sign with the Sixers. I think that's the best basketball decision for him now because they can get— I mean, look at it this way. They could keep the Lakers pick. They could keep Covington. They're going to still have Embiid, Simmons, Fultz, Justin Anderson, TJ McConnell, Rashawn Holmes, and you can sign LeBron. Like, that can happen. That would be absurd. Um. And but if if you're not gonna get LeBron, here's and I guess this is where the question ties in. It has to be LeBron or bust for me if I'm them. Then just wait until 2019. You have cap holds for T.J. McConnell and Rashawn Holmes. They're nothing. You can renounce Justin Anderson, uh, and that will help you essentially get to above 31 million dollars in cap space again. And from there, you can do things to open up. Uh, additional space you have a bunch of team options uh on dario Saric that year you're not going to want to get rid of him for nothing but again you can get rid of uh who would be another name you, you can kind of get rid of Furcon at that point i think he's still on the books uh, so th- you're gonna have ways to get past 30 million again and you might have more options on the free agent market so if you're not getting lebron this year uh, you could maybe run it back with jj reddick sign him for another year so that you can have his early bird rights if those help you leading into uh, 2019 free agency, they probably wouldn't because I'd assume you'd overpay him and then hope that he takes a pay cut. You go that route because it's LeBron or bust for me in free agency if I'm them. So I, LeBron on that team would obviously be insane, and maybe what I'm about to say is even more insane than that. I, I'm not, I'm not real big on the LeBron to Philly train because I just I want Ben Simmons to have the ball Whoa. as much as humanly possible, and. In addition, I, I think if even if they had like $25 million in cap space, uh, which is kind of one of the scenarios you laid out, there's some really interesting I, – I, I feel like guys like Avery Bradley, Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, those are really interesting fits at the two for that team. Right. You already have two ball-dominant guys in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Uh, Covington is perfect for that situation. And I think a guy like Bradley or Danny Green, the more I think about it, is like, that's perfect to me. Um, it, it, th- those are two of the better 3 and D specialists in the entire NBA, Green and Covington. If you had both those guys uh, flanking Simmons, Embiid, pick and rolls, like, <laughs> even without LeBron James, I'm almost ready to, to declare them a title contender within like two years. And I agree that they could get there, but the one final point I kind of want to say on this is that getting LeBron would be perfect for Andy Bailey's master plan for LeBron because yeah, th- this true. team would be perfectly set up for him to be a spot-up shooter. And that, uh, you, you take the gamble on LeBron, especially, again, if you're going to keep the crux yeah. of your core in It's amazing that we can even say that, so, take a gamble on LeBron. But would you – and so you're all for them basically just either maybe you target two of those mid-end guys – uh, you know, if you get Red, if you got Reddick, and I don't think Bradley's going to leave Detroit, but Reddick and Kentavious Caldwell Pope, I don't know who he's going to cost. He's not been good this year, but he would probably be a lot better on the Sixers. If you can get two of those guys, then yeah, I guess it's something to explore. But I would, if if you're not going to get LeBron, there's not. We talked about this. There's not another name the Sixers should be chasing in my book. Really, just wait till 2019, where you're going to have yet another clear path uh, to 30 plus million dollars in room. But I, yeah, I, I mean, if the you thing can, with Philadelphia is they, I mean. They already have two guys who are, if not top, I think Joel Embiid might already be a top 10 player. Uh, both of them are certainly top 10 potential. Top to, five to potential. Put on the roster already. It's crazy. 
Yep, and I, I understand your concerns there uh, with the ball, but if you want LeBron to kind of progress into that spot-up shooter, that this is the team that would that do it be, because he's be never point. had all that talent. And so basketball-wise, I don't know. A lot of people want to say, watch Houston. Would they gut their team for LeBron? You can keep basically Chris Paul Harden and start from scratch with minimums if it's possible, I'm like maybe. But Philadelphia, to me, a far better, far better basketball situation than anything he would have with the Lakers, even if Paul George ends up on that team with him. Yeah, for LeBron, it would it would definitely be better to go to Philly. Um, so I had this question, this next question asked to me on the radio uh, by ESPN Charlotte. The I can't remember, was it Thursday or Friday? I think Friday morning, Thursday morning, whatever it was. Is Steve Clifford on the hot seat? Hornets head coach Steve Clifford. And mind you, we're talking about this the night after Kemba Walker dropped uh, roughly, what was it, 2 trillion points? And the Hornets <laughs> still lost to the Bulls. Uh, it's an interesting question. I actually picked, this is, I picked Dark Horse. Dark Horse, I want to emphasize that. Long shot candidates for end-of-the-year awards, and I had Steve Clifford on there for Coach of the Year because I thought that maybe he could cobble together a semi-elite defense and the Hornets might be a team that flirts with 50 wins. Now it looks like they're going to be lucky to be a team that flirts with 40 wins. So yeah. uh, I I don't – I'm the seat is getting warmer, especially for general manager Rich Cho, and the Hornets have like kind of placed stock in remaining mediocre – which I do think is a problem because now you're locked in to this core. By the time Dwight Howard comes off the books, you got to give Kemba the max, and you, you're locked into Nicholas Batum. You have Marvin Williams. None of your deals are terrible that are on your books, but none of them are especially good. So they're they're approaching a crossroads, and if it's not going to come at midseason, and if it is midseason and I'm the Hornets and I'm like this is your worst-case scenario is continuing, you've had Nicholas Batum back for a while, and it's just not working – I'm I'm thinking about really hitting the teardown button and making no one, and that includes Kemba, untouchable because he trading him might be a good launching point for your rebuild. I know it's not ideal, uh, but I wouldn't. I can't picture them firing Steve Clifford midseason. Like they would have to be twelve or fifteen games under five hundred, but like closer to the All Star break or something, because he's so respected in that organization. Kemba Walker loves him. He's been nothing but adaptable in my opinion since he really got there like this is a guy who was touted for his tough-nosed defensive approach and there were seasons where Charlotte's offense was kind of a a slog and it it seems like it's headed back that way Uh, you would like to see them have a higher three-point attempt rate but look at the freedom he's giving Kemba Walker uh, off the ball at points. Uh, look at how many threes they were shooting last season. I think they had like a very elite uh, three-point attempt rate that, that I'm looking up now. And so I think he's a guy, if you give him the right personnel, he's going to adjust to it. And Charlotte had the eighth in three-point attempt rate, the percentage of their shots coming from three-point range. Last year was 33.5, which ranked eighth in the league. That number is actually lower, and they're in the bottom 10, I believe, this season. But give him the personnel, and I, I think – that he will adjust to it. I just don't think the Hornets have that talent. And maybe they still turn it around this season, but I'm not ready to put him on the hot seat. And I know if you do anything in the front office, you normally like to dovetail it with a, a head coach move because you want an incoming general manager to have his guy. But I'm I'm looking at Rich Cho uh, as, the, as the man responsible more than I am Steve Clifford for this mess right now. I think I'm with you. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put him on like a mid-season <clears throat> hot seat. Uh, but Steve Clifford, this is year five now for him in Charlotte. They made the playoffs that 
that first year he was there, 2013-14. So I think it's reasonable to say that they've at least been like um, in the playoff hunt every year since then, or at least expected to be. And so that first year, Charlotte went 43 and nine. The next year, they went 33 and 49. Then they bounced back and went 48 and 34 and 15 16. Last season, they go 36 and 46, and this season they're off to a five and nine start, um, which would, I mean, if that winning percentage held for the whole season, it would be the lowest winning percentage of his tenure with Charlotte. Um, so just in terms of wins and losses, the I, I think it's worse than the perception of Steve Clifford has been. And I, I think he's a good coach. Um, I think getting that first Charlotte team to the playoffs was a major overachievement. And I think in a, in a lot of ways, he's kind of, um, that's kind of been a hot streak that he's, he's been on. He, he's ridden that the last four or five years is what I'm trying to say. Um, uh, that's fair. And I, I did rank him as a top seven coach entering last season. So I'd probably yeah, and I feel like every year, well. every year leading into the season, there's like this this sort of restrained optimism about the Hornets. Like they're gonna get they're gonna get back this year, and it's just really really up and down. And I don't think there's been a ton of roster turnover, um, especially the last two or three years. It's been essentially the same core. So yeah, I think um, and I agree with you. Probably both of them, if if this continues for the whole season, both Cho and Clifford will be on some kind of a hot seat this summer. But I wouldn't – again, I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I wouldn't expect something to happen in the middle of the season. I have a bonus question. I know I'm the one who's on the time deadline, but I found this interesting the other day. <laughs> uh, to our podcast when we were talking about the Clippers considering to be sellers, someone proposed mm-hmm. a trade. Uh, Rene Acosta at Ronco Stajar. It's R, at R-O-N-C-O-S-T-A-J-R. Would they do Blake for Goran Dragic and James Johnson? Now, that sounds kind of absurd on the surface, and the Clippers would not because they built that free agent pitch around Blake Griffin as a Clippers lifer, and he's been really good. His three-point percentage has dropped, but the Hornets are still an elite. Uh, wow, the Clippers are still an elite offensive team when he's on the floor. Statistically, uh, the whole team is not protecting the rim very well. They've they've goaded teams into like the right shots at points too, but the, it's just there's so many things that are a mess. They don't have enough switchability on the perimeter. Obviously, Gallinari and Beverly's absences has hurt, but that's a trade that could potentially make the Clippers a little bit more balanced and well rounded in the short term. And I, it sounds so stupid. I would you don't do it. Um, I, I mean, Justice Winslow would at the very least have to be included in that package as well. And they would probably need to, then you have to take back something else from the Clippers. But I thought that was kind of an interesting, just like a, not, not as a serious trade, but as a, I mean, if you replace Blake with Goron and James Johnson, well, the clip, like that Clippers team would be fun as hell. They would. Um, But if I'm the Clippers, I'm, I'm probably looking to sell anything like Griffin. Yeah. Um, He's not, he's not that young. I mean, he's only two years younger than James Johnson. So that's not that big of a difference. He's only three years younger than Goran Dragic. Um, but I, I still think there's like a top 15 player there somewhere with Blake Griffin. It's top 20. And, and it's at worst, it's top 25. So like yeah. he wakes up and he's a top 25 player. So exactly. Um, and that's so your that's, draw too. And you need that draw because we don't know what's going to happen with like now it's on DeAndre's your marquee name. And that just doesn't, or Austin Rivers, whatever Doc Rivers wants to make his marquee name. <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely 
sort of ride or die with Blake Griffin for at least the next couple of years. Uh, uh, unless I, you have any others, I think that wraps us up. Nope. I think we, uh, I think, nope, that's all, that's all I have in front of me. Oh wait, really Another quick. I don't even want an explanation. More sustainable. The Lakers defense or the Blazers defense. Both of them rank in the top five of points allowed per 100 possessions. This and is I, this may shock some people, but I'm going to say uh, Lakers. You know, it's also going to shock some people. I'm also going to say the Lakers. <laughs> like I just watch Lonzo Bonzo's Ball. Bonzo's a lot better at the point of attack than Damian Lillard. I mean, traditionally, Lillard's been better this year, but um, I, has I that see life. more regression. Like he just yeah. he he's he's gotten really good at blocking guys from behind the play. Yep, and I think uh, they have some other guys who have great like plus defender potential. Larry Nance, Brandon Ingram. I, I think there's some. some Still serious... all in on Brandon Ingram. Kyle Kuzma needs to be. He's. Uh, I don't want to say he's a defensive train wreck, but I feel like he's just not aggressive <laughs> enough. Yeah, his. Uh... His reputation will always be a little bit ahead of what he's actually doing, it seems like. Look at us waxing optimism about the Lakers. <laughs> um, anyway, that was another successful mailbag, I feel like. Um, again, uh, I want to reiterate what Dan said earlier in the pod. We're, we're going to run a little contest. Uh, if you want, the, the NBA Math t-shirts are really cool. I second Fire. one. Yeah. Just look. go to NBA Math. There's a link right on the homepage that says store or shop or something like that. And you can check out the designs. They're they're really, really cool. And you can get one of them for free. All you got to do is screenshot the fact that you uh, subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show and send it to any of our Twitter accounts. And you'll be entered to win one of those cool t-shirts. Um, you can send it to Dan at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can send it to me at Andrew D. Bailey. You can send it to Hardwood Knox at Hardwood Knox. I'll even open it up to NBA Math uh, at NBA underscore math. Um, Send it to any of those spots, and we'll get you entered in the contest. Uh, as always, leave a review, uh, rate us, subscribe, tell your friends. And until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Kyle Anderson and Bino Udry. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of 5-Hour Energy. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.